Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. We're going to be reading from James 5, 13 through 20 this morning. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Billy Glosson would come up. We'll say a prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this church and for this community that we have. I thank you for your word and your graces and this beautiful season that we're all in. Dear Lord, I I pray that you slow our minds, open our hearts and our ears to the word that you have for us this morning, that we put down everything that we have happening and we hear what you have to say to us through Billy. You guide Billy and his word this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So many of you know uh, my story. Some of you don't. Uh, you don't know mine and my wife's story, and so I'll share that briefly. So in 2017, we were expecting our first child, and that um, ended in a pretty devastating late-term miscarriage that led to a cancer scare that led to years of us praying and wondering um, whether or not we were going to be able to uh, have kids biologically. Um, We uh, engaged uh, in foster care and loved that and still love participating and being a part of that um, and just thought, that's okay. We trust the Lord. God builds families in the way that he builds families. But um, I saw my wife, um, she was a doula for a number of years and got to serve and participate and be a part of that. If you don't know what a doula is, I should not assume that everyone knows what that is because um, I didn't know what that was until Hannah was one. So uh, it's a birthing coach. And so you're kind of there to support the mother and advocate uh, alongside of the mother and the father and the, and the process, right? So she longed for that and experiencing infant loss and infertility. I remember us sitting and talking and Hannah telling me, I'm kind of over praying for this. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, that you've longed for something or you've hoped for something and you've prayed for it and it just feels kind of like nothing's happening. I remember um, feeling stirred to not accept that, Um, not in some kind of weird pseudo-spiritual way, but just in this, man, God can do anything kind of way. And so we started doing what uh, we call Jesus-only prayers. Lots of 
Uh, you have heard of me talk about this before. It's prayers that basically only Jesus can answer because up to this point, nothing we had done worked. And so I started every day, we would read scripture. And at the last part of the thing, I would say, Lord, in your time, give us a child. However that looks, give us a child. We had a foster daughter that we loved and cared for. And man, we just had so much fun with her. We had friends pay to send us to Disney World. And I thought, this is it. You know, like this is the child that God has for us. And if you know anything about foster care, it's both beautiful and terrible, amazing and horrible, all the things all wrapped up together. And right at the start of the pandemic, we launched the church. Uh, We were meeting in a much smaller space than this. And we had just had two weeks. We were all excited. We had just gotten back from Disney. Life was kind of moving forward. And then, well, COVID, right? They decided, the state did, to move our foster daughter closer to her sister. And out of our house, she went. And it felt like the death of a dream. But I kept praying, hoping, trusting. It wasn't much longer until my wife was pregnant, which led to a mixture of emotions of both euphoric joy and fear. Um, We had a turbulent pregnancy. It was healthy, but we were just overly anxious and um, had like a couple precautionary things we had to do. There were nights where my wife would check a Doppler, if you don't, again, looking for the child's heartbeat. And then on February 1st, 2021, little Sammy popped into the world. Now, I tell you that story because I know many people um, have not had the same story as us. Many people still experience infertility. And so I know that that may come with a sting for some. And so I apologize if it does. I tell you the story for the result at the end. When Sam was born, um, yes, it's like the ultimate like pastor's kid move to name your kid. Your wife's name is Hannah and you name your kid Samuel. Like I get it. I get it, right? His name is Samuel Moses. So we just like doubled down, you know, like we're just like, you're going to have no friends. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's, he's charismatic enough. He's got the friends. So we, uh, we, we were excited he came into the world, and when he did, um, my wife really wanted, see, I didn't expect to get like emotional, but that's like foolish, right? I should have assumed I would. Um, my wife played the song Man of Your Word by Maverick City when Sam came into the world. It was like the first thing we did. The line they repeat over and over is, if you said it, we believe it. This room is filled with nurses. I'm about to pass out, you know. Um, And my wife, who just is kind of, you know, both in joy and (laughs) exhaustion, starts just spewing the gospel to these women. She says, I don't know if you believe in prayer. But in February of 2017, on February 1st, 2017, we found out we were pregnant with our first child that we lost. And now, February 2021, I'm holding my son. His name means Samuel, which means God hears. God hears and he answers prayer. A lot of us have 
a lot of loaded emotions when it comes to prayer. We feel conflicted. Maybe you pray, but you feel like it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go beyond the ceiling. Maybe when you pray, you feel like, Lord, I don't know if you're even listening. Or maybe you don't even pray anymore. Today, we come to the last sermon in the book of James. And this book has packed a punch, right? I remember going through this over the last several weeks and people were like, you weren't playing when we were going through James. It's been brutal because James examines our actions and he says, do the things that we do line up with the things that we say? Do our actions match our beliefs? And now we get to the end and we see James is calling us to respond to the Lord in prayer in prayer. Really simply, here's our takeaway this morning. It's this. This is a big idea. The steadfast life is a praying life. The steadfast life is a praying life. This section of James, it's a beautiful call to persevering, overcoming prayer. There's challenging parts of this passage, absolutely. But my hope is that as we walk through it together, you will be lifted up you will be encouraged to seek the Lord in prayer. So let's go to the text and let's see this first. We pray in the good and the bad. We pray in the good and the bad. So James moves on from his challenging words on patience and now he talks about a life of patience and practice, which is a life of prayer. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now the book of James starts with a challenge right at the get-go to reframe our view of suffering. We are called to consider how God and his sovereign care turns even our pain into purpose. He works all things together for his good purposes. And James says that here, when we're in those moments, we should pray. But it doesn't just say pray when things are difficult, pray when things are hard, pray when things are frustrating. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing, let him sing praise. And what is singing praise but prayer in a song? In our praise and adoration of God, we come before him to thank him for who he is. And here's the thing, we, you know, I send these memes back and forth. Michael and I do, we're like, you know, uh, Christians enjoying worship and it's like these like melancholy faces just like really loving the song. It's beautiful. Love it so much. But man, I don't know if you know this or not. Some of us need to remember the tomb is empty. It is. Jesus is alive. The greatest circumstance that has ever come about in your life has been dealt with if you know Christ. I got in the car recently and Hannah loves to listen to the radio like it's 1998, like we don't have Bluetooth. And, um, you know, I, I get in and every time I do, I'm just like, babe, why are we doing this? Like, because you know, you know what it's like when those commercials come on. It's like, now, 1995. I'm like, all right, let's, we don't want this. So I get in the car and sure enough, Caleb is blaring, right? And I'm not, that's not my jam, but, you know, I roll my eyes and I'm ready to swap it to Bluetooth. And then I hear this song that I'm like annoyed with. And it says, because on my best day, I'm a child of God on my worst day. I'm a child of God. Now, some of you guys are like, yeah, that's a bop. I know that song. Um, and I was like, I mean, we, I like do this, you know, aggressive like motion to turn it off. And I'm like, my hand hovers. 
because I hear it and it's like the Lord was just in that moment saying, slow down and hear this. On your best day, you belong to me. On your worst day, you belong to me. And it got me. Because here's what prayer does, friends. It stirs our hearts to remember the reality of the gospel. It helps us put in frame, in perspective, an eternal view. This moment, this thing, it's not this kind of, oh, well, grandma used to say, it'll pass. It's the reality of, hey, this moment, this difficulty, in the grand scheme of eternity is nothing. It sets our suffering in perspective. What's the worst thing that can happen? Even if breath leaves my lungs, my eyes will behold the glory of the king. What can happen to me? What can death do to me? What can death do to you? And when life is abundant, when your kids make your heart overflow, when the day is wonderful, when you have so much to rejoice in, who gets the glory? Who gets the praise? The Lord, the Lord. You see, once we capture the reality that the Lord has welcomed us, that the Lord loves us, it changes everything. When Jesus describes the character of God and the prodigal son, what do we see? We see a father that runs to his child. A father that runs to us. Doesn't ridicule, doesn't say, stand there with his hands hemming and hauling. No, he clings to us. Don't you long to know him? To yearn for the living God. There was a little boy who was praying his bedtime prayers with his mother. And he said, Lord, bless mommy and daddy and God. Give me a bicycle. His mom looked at him and said, baby, God's not deaf. And he responded, said, mom, I know, but grandma's in the next room and she's hard of hearing. (laughs) Sometimes, friends, I fear that that's how we pray. Only as a last resort in hopes that maybe, just maybe we might get something, but we're not really expecting anything. We're not really hoping for change, right? If I put a million dollars in your physical bank account, you're a guaranteed millionaire, you are. But if you don't know how to access that account, but if you don't know how to write a check, that which is guaranteed cannot be enjoyed. Too many of us who've got bank accounts full of God's blessings are forgetting to sign our checks, We forget to draw from that spiritual reservoir or we don't understand how to draw from that spiritual reservoir to live in relationship with the living God. We don't know that God has promised to bless us abundantly. We've forgotten that Ephesians is mostly the very beginning, just all these blessings that we have now because of Jesus. That we would see that reality, friends, that we would long to be with him. Would we linger in prayer We have resources, friends, that can help you. I know that this is, hearing sermons like this can feel like, how do I move forward? There's so, I would love to take time right now to just like have you for two hours and really get into this, but we don't have that kind of time. So we have resources right across the way in the fellowship hall that you can snag. Books like Praying the Bible, Pray Big, there's more than that. And I'll say this, I'll make myself available. If prayer is particularly difficult for you, if you've never been taught from the scriptures, what does it look like to have abiding prayer? Let's talk. 
Let's all grow in this Coram Deo. Let's be a praying church. Whether we're in difficult moments or in great moments, would our hearts overflow in prayer? James, specifically now, consider those who are troubled and suffering physically. And he says this in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is a controversial passage. It is. My hope is that we can, we can read it and we can demystify it a little bit. James says if you're sick, the original language says if you're weak, if that's you, reach out to the elders, the overseers, pastors, those words are all synonymous, and ask for prayer. Those leaders will then pray over and anoint that person. Now this gets complicated for a couple of reasons. Some think that James is referring to a medicinal purpose for this anointing oil. Catholics use this passage to perform last rites. It's those who make a deathbed confession, kind of a last Hail Mary before meeting the grave. But really, if we take this in context within the rest of Scripture, we see the most likely reason and the one that I believe is that it is symbolic of the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no magic in the oil. It is a symbol that points to the reality of of the Spirit of God that can heal. It's a sign of God's power to heal. Now, here's where it gets a little bit tricky. Some say we shouldn't go to the doctor or take medicine. All we should do is pray. And I would say to that, I think that's a little bit uh, misguided. The apostles didn't oppose medical care. Paul even told Timothy to drink wine for his stomach. That's not the idea, right? Doctors are used by God's sovereign hand. Luke, who penned the uh, gospel of Luke, was a physician himself. All healing, friend, ultimately comes from the Spirit, yes, but God uses physicians, uses medical care to bring healing. I know friends who are Christian doctors who say, I treat the injury, but God's the one who truly heals. So let me say this, absolutely seek medical care. Pray for your doctors, pray for your nurses. Trust that the Lord works in common grace. That's one side of the coin. The other is that some Christians believe that if you pray, With enough faith, you will always be healed. If not, if you're not healed, it means that you didn't have enough faith. Which I'll just say that adds a lot more pain to those who are already feeling weak. The belief uh, that you can just somehow muster up enough enough faith is, is deeply flawed for a myriad of reasons. First and foremost, let me just say this, that's putting the onus on you, not Jesus. And, uh, As we've seen time and time again throughout scripture, it's not filled with these like rock star Bible heroes. It's filled with one hero and his name is Jesus. In addition to that, everyone eventually dies. So even the most devout will face an illness they won't recover from, right? Lazarus is not walking around with us right now, okay? Also, in addition to that, scripture shows that some men of great faith were not healed, right? Paul did amazing things, right? Worked many miracles, but he didn't heal Timothy. He didn't heal Trophimus or Epaphroditus. And the Lord himself never revealed Paul of his own thorn in the flesh, which was apparently a physical affliction. 
And lastly, not all healings promised in the Bible are meant for this life. Sometimes raising up refers to the resurrection in the future, not just immediate healing. So what that means is this, every believer will be healed, either now in a way that is miraculous, that points to the glory of God, or in eternity for the glory of God. So it's wrong to blame someone's sickness on their level of faith. The simple reading here, the call here is that if you are sick, call on the elders of the church to pray for you. Know that in it, God will work all things together for your good. God's plan, whatever it may be, is the only thing that can bring our healing. Our hope doesn't rest in our wavering prayers for healing, but in the eternal healing sealed at the cross. Every follower of Jesus is destined for complete healing. Every one of them. As Jesus was resurrected, so will every believer be. And through him, we will be assured of forgiveness. Here's the thing. Our healing isn't about our merit. It isn't about our metric of faith, our doing. It's about the master healer and his perfect plan. So what's the takeaway? What's this? Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. His plan is always for our highest good. The prayer of faith is prayed with faith in God and his plan, not of faith in our plans. Pray to the God who has the power to answer prayer. Pray to the God who has the wisdom to know what is best for us. And pray to the God who is our everything and know that whatever he answers is what is truly best for us. Now, for us, while our conversations with God often resolve around our joys and our struggle, they also serve as a bridge during times when we stray, times when we falter in our journey. And so we see, second, that we pray when we are sinful. So we pray in the good and the bad, and we pray when we are sinful. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James shows us here that our faith isn't alone on an island, right? It's not just you and Jesus and no one else. You're called to community. You're called to the church. We have a one another faith, and it's really hard to one another yourself, so let's go ahead and let's, 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 let's just take a moment. Let's break into groups right now. I want you to look at your neighbor and confess your deepest, darkest sin. You guys ready? No one wants to, no one wants to do that? I'm just messing. We're not going to do that. Just kidding. Here's what James is saying. He's saying that being a part of this church family means that we are in this together. That when one of us stumbles, it's not a solo act. We all feel it, Right? Brothers, sisters, it's like being a part of a tight-knit team. We should be so tight, so real with each other that we're okay saying, hey, I messed up. It's about building those legit, no-judgment friendships. And whether that's through our community groups, whether that's through grabbing coffee after service, we have to fight to be real with each other. Let me ask this question. Are you the kind of person someone can lean on? Are you the kind of person someone would lean on? Do people see you as the go-to when they're in a jam? Would they trust you with the messiest parts of their life? And if they do open up, 
Are you ready to walk with them, to pray with them, to remind them of the grace of God instead of pointing fingers? See, James hits it on the head when he says we should confess our sins to each other. Would Corindeo be the kind of church, the kind of place where that's not just possible, but totally normal? Let me ask, friend, are you hiding? Are you hiding? Is there a besetting sin? Is there, is there something that you're doing? Is there something that you're involved in that you don't want to confess? I get it. The fear of confessing sin can be paralyzing. Sometimes it's even worse than the fear of dying. There was a pastor in the 1940s who preached on confession. And at the end of one of his sermons, a young man from the congregation approached him with a, a, just a really troubled look. He was concerned. He said, Pastor, your words are really stirring my conscience, but I, I don't know what to do. I, I've wronged someone, and I'm too embarrassed to admit it. I, I don't even know how to rectify my mistake. See, I'm a boat builder, and my employer does not believe. He criticizes our faith. And so I frequently talked to him about Jesus. I've talked to him about the importance of faith. I invited him to attend our church services, but he's always been dismissive. However, I've done something pretty foolish and I know it would tarnish my reputation in his eyes if I confessed it. He went on to describe how he had been building a boat at his home and to save costs, he had been taking these expensive copper nails from his workplace Copper nails, due to their resistance to rust, were extremely valuable in boat building. And he knew it was wrong, but he started justifying it little by little, thinking, well, my employer won't even notice. And besides, I'm not really paid that well, so it's okay. However, this sermon had stirred him, and the Spirit of God was convicting him, made him realize his sin. And he lamented. He's like, I don't don't know what to do. Because I can't possibly admit this to my employer. Because if I tell him about that, if I, if I tell him I've stolen from him, if I offer to pay for it, he'll think I'm a hypocrite. But I feel so guilty and it's weighing so heavily on me. And he kept going about this for weeks. Finally, one night he approached his pastor and he said, I did it. I confessed about the copper nails. And my conscience is finally at peace. And so the pastor was curious and he said, well, how did your employer react? He said, well, he appeared really surprised. And he admitted that he actually thought I was just another hypocrite, just another Christian. But my confession made him realize that there might indeed be substance to my faith. He said, any religion that can compel a worker to admit his theft and seek reconciliation must have some value. So the pastor asked, can I share this story? And he started to share this story when he preached and In a different town, after sharing this story, another woman came up and said that she too had her own copper nails. She would borrow books from friends and never return them. Even though it felt silly, she knew that it was wrong. In fact, this copper nail story started to carry its way over. After sharing it at a high school youth event, students started to return stolen items to their rightful owners. You see, we often have these copper nails, these sins that we try to bury. We do. And here's the thing, sin, it whispers sweet nothings. It tells us we're safe under its cloak. We're hidden behind a mask. But here's the catch, we're not. We think we can just be, we can just be straight with God about our mess ups. I can just tell the Lord and I can move on and I can skip the part where I'm real with my brothers and sisters. But we have to 
realize what we're doing is we're just diving deeper and deeper into the abyss. We start bending the truth, and worse, we start believing our own twisted tales. We push away the Spirit's gentle nudges. We muffle his call back to the truth, and before we know it, we're living in the shadow, and it feels normal. But here is the beautiful counter move. When we confess our sin to another believer, it's like tearing off a disguise, right? It's like coming into the light. Suddenly we realize that we have been gulping down toxic air and we start gulping down the refreshing air of truth. Our hearts wake up, our eyes refocus, and we behold Jesus clearer than ever. If we really want change, If we really yearn to see Christ in his fullness, it starts with stepping out from the shadows and being vulnerable, sharing our brokenness with others. So let me ask today, who do you need to confess sin to? Who is it? What do you need to be healed from? What is the sickness that sin has you under? The lie that you believe, the numbness you feel drowning you. And here's the thing, confessing isn't just about that one-off, I'm sorry, let's move on. It's more than just getting that guilt off your chest. Think about it, when we're real with each other, when we peel back those layers of sin, that's just the starting line. Because God has great things in store for us. He doesn't just want us to get over it and move on. He wants us to have a full reset, to come back to abundant life real life, joy-filled, blessing-filled, hopeful life. We're talking about renewal. That's why James doesn't just stop at confession. He points us forward to something even bigger. So let's keep going in the passage. We're gonna look at verse 17. And we're gonna see this passage about Elijah, but it's not just some kind of historical throwback. Jesus is showing us the real power of prayer that comes not just from quick confession, but from God's renewing touch in our life. God bringing abundant hope and joy. So as we confess, let's also pray for that renewal. So we pray for in the good and the bad. We pray when we're sinful. And third, we pray for renewal. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like, like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I love James, just like, drop it, I'm done. Let's see, see you later, right? Drops the mic and leaves. He brings up Elijah. He talks about his prayers, and he offers hope. He says, just as Elijah's fervent prayer withheld and then released rain upon the earth, our heartfelt petitions can bring about spiritual revival. In the shadow of the pandemic, many who claim Christ have drifted away from gospel community. It got really easy to be in our PJs on Sunday morning, and the live stream looks a lot better when Billy's not spitting on my face, right? And we've seen since then churches falter Churches shuttering their doors. It's led churches to start meeting and praying and, and, and really saying, we got a plan, we've got to strategize, we've got to think, how do we engage our community? How do we go after those who don't know the Lord? How do we go after the de-churched, those who have left, 
But I'll say this, strategy is important, but it's not enough. It's not enough. We can build institutions, we can proclaim the truth, but we cannot expect everyone to be persuaded because of how cunning we are, because of how clever our strategies are. What we need, friends, quite simple, and I know I'm going to sound old school, is simply this, we need revival. We do. Should we plan? Should we work diligently? Yes, of course, but in the end, strategy can't save us. We need revival. We need the spirit of the living God to stir and awaken hearts and bring about his glory. And so we need to pray for it. Have you ever flipped through the Old Testament and hit the saga of Elijah? If you haven't, man, it's incredible. It, it, it's not just some kind of Sunday school highlight reel. I mean, it's epic, primetime, God-shaking stuff. There's this showdown in 1 Kings 18. There's Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. It's, it's the kind of the story that reads like a movie. You've got the prophets of Baal and Elijah contending against each other. We're going to call down fire from our God. You're going to call down fire from your God. Elijah's this ultimate underdog. He starts pouring water all over his sacrifice. He's basically giving the prophets of Baal a head start. And why is that? Because he trusted. Not in the odds, but in his God. And yet, when we read that story, we're like, that's not my daily nine to five Christian, Christian life, right? I'm not like, you know, busting in the door and be like, all right, let's do this. You say you don't believe in God, you know, dumping what? We're not doing that. That's weird, right? It feels strange. But here's the kicker. In James 5, it's not about Elijah's miracle moment. It's not. It's about his knees hit the ground, heart bared open prayers, why does James pull Elijah in this? He's not to say, hey, all, let's be like Elijah. Let's call down fire. No, he's saying, look at Elijah. He's a dude with just as many hangups as any of us, but he's a guy who understood God's raw power in prayer. We're not walking around trying to replicate Elijah's theatrics, but his prayer life, that's what we're called to. Elijah's not some unreachable spiritual superhero. In fact, I don't know if many of you know this, but right after Elijah does this epic showdown where he calls down fire, do you know what he does? He asks God to take his life. He's so depressed, he's hiding and he's terrified. And he's like, it's better, I'd just rather die. Because he's human, friends. He's raw, he's real. But when he prayed, things moved. Guys, the call is not that we would be, oh, I wish I was like Elijah. I wish I was like someone else. The call is, Lord, would you work in power? Are you praying? Are you petitioning the Lord to work in power? I mean, do you look around the city and see the brokenness and ask, God, would you heal? Would you restore? Would you renew? Are you looking at your marriage? And seeing the faltering relationship there. Are you looking at your kid going to school again? And, and, and there's fear and animosity because we live in such a broken world. And are you asking, Lord, would you work in power? There was a woman who left her diamond brooch in a hotel. And when she got home, she remembered her brooch and she called the hotel. And she told the manager what happened. And he went to look for it. He said, ma'am, just hold on just a minute. I'm going to go look for it. He goes and inspects the room, doesn't see it at first, and then gets another volunteer to come help him. And they find it. And when they find it, he puts it in the safe. And he goes back to the, the phone, picks up, says, ma'am, we have good news. And right when he does, he realizes it's a diatome because she had hung up. So many of us are like this. We're not willing to wait on the Lord. We're a young church plant. Um, 
if you're looking for the most engaging music and the most amazing programs, we're, you know, we're not there. <laughs> we're trying, we're growing. We have the, probably the most amazing volunteers. We don't have theatrics. All we have is the gospel. We were meeting for a long time in a <laughs> indoor soccer complex. Some, a lot of you were there for that. Fun, right? Also, putting pipe and drape, that stuff, in front of soccer goals so that kids wouldn't, you know, play soccer all the time uh, was fun. It's challenging. We have a lot of kids, and we were, you know, trying to get them to not climb into a coffee roaster. That would not be good. So Michael and I started meeting and talking and praying, and when we prayed, I remember driving around, and I pulled into this parking lot. It's right there. I didn't even know this church existed. Just be completely transparent. Didn't know. And I'll just be honest, this neighborhood is not the one that I would have, you know, and when I first came to Morganton and drove around and I would have picked, but in that moment, the Spirit of God just stirred my heart. I looked across the street, I saw that auxiliary parking lot. I knew Case Farms is right there. The train tracks are right there saw a group of homeless guys walking over to Burke United Christian Mission. And I felt so convicted. Because for the last several years, it's just been really easy to be numb. To just do the, do the thing. Go to work, love my family, play with my kid. And all around us, friends, are people who are broken. The meth and opioid crisis in this county is overwhelming. Homelessness is on the rise. Kids are struggling with depression at rates that I don't know how the school system handles it. It's so easy to be numb. We live in a day and an age when we can just pick up our phones and swipe up and see the next entertaining thing. What if we prayed? What if we prayed that God would somehow take this ancient text and make it our focus? What if we prayed that that focus would then turn into joy and to unity? What if we prayed that that it would become so engaging that it was more captivating than TikTok's reels or Netflix? Would we live a praying life, praying in the good and the hard times, knowing and trusting that God is for us, that he has called us his own? Would we pray for healing, asking God to do above what we could imagine or expect? Would we actually be bold enough to confess our sin, to grab someone and say, hey, I'm struggling. I lie to my wife, I don't know why. I'm mean to my kids, I don't know why. I have a besetting sin, I stay up late, I watch things I shouldn't. Would we own it and call it what it is and stop letting it drown us in numbness? And would we beg, ask, and plead with God to bring renewal, to bring revival, and watch what he can do? It's not about how amazing our church is. It's about how amazing our God is. Would Christ be magnified in everything? One of my favorite quotes ever is this, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Let's stop trying to make a name for ourselves, a name for this church, and let's make his name be made much of forever and ever Four questions for us. First, how do I typically respond to life's 
highs and lows? Do I instinctively turn to God in both good times and bad, seeking his presence and perspective? Second, when I recognize sin in my life, do I readily confess and seek reconciliation? Or do I often let it linger, allowing a distance to form between me and God? Third, how am I actively praying for spiritual renewal, both in my own life and in the life of those around me? Do I truly believe in the transformative power of prayer as exemplified by Elijah? And fourth, as I reflect on my daily routines and priorities, how can I more intentionally cultivate a life that consistently echoes James' call to pray steadfastly, ensuring that my relationship with God remains vibrant and unbroken. We're going to post all four of these later. I know the formatting's probably all off. That's my fault. Michael's not here. This is what happens. Friends, I want to encourage you. Prayer is not always easy. Jesus taught us a parable that we might pray and not lose heart. Talked about this widow who would petition an unjust judge for justice. We don't have an unjust judge that sits on the throne. We have a good father. Would we go to him? Would we pray and would we not lose heart? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you love us, you see us, you know us, and you welcome us. Jesus, you meet us and welcome us. You offer to us life and life eternal. You offer to us renewal and hope. This morning, God, I pray for those who are struggling, for those who are wrestling with illness, for those who are mired in sin, for those who are broken over the darkness that is in our city. Lord, would we unite together, confessing our sin, clinging to Christ and asking God, would you work in power? Would it not be about the glory and story of Coram Deo Church? God, I pray that many churches in our community would thrive and grow. I pray that many would come to know and respond to the good news of the gospel. I pray for audacious hearts that are not afraid, but are bold to care, to love, to see, to serve. God, may we know and love our community. May we know and love others. May we speak the hope of the gospel in all we do, God, in all we say. God, bring revival, we pray. Work in power. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Coram Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, coramdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.